This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Yes, Carlson. welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. It's the summer series, and we are journeying on, even though now there's officially no more hockey. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, of course, is Brian Com. Say hello, Brian. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. It's another episode. Good to be back in the summer. We're, I'm so excited, because like, we're actually on the precipice of hockey news coming. Yeah, for sure. Like, Obviously, there was the news of what was happening in the playoffs, but if anything, Brian was hammering down the point that you were not supposed to care about the playoffs in terms of <laughs> fantasy hockey strategy for next year. Well, no. Okay, the Stanley Cup playoffs were really fun to watch. The finals was an amazing series. I'm just talking more about podcast content. This isn't a playoff hockey podcast. It's a fantasy hockey podcast, and news that affects fantasy hockey is is coming. It's coming. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you, Brian. I, I agree. Like, the playoffs were fun, but had nothing to do with anything. And you tried to point out that we shouldn't let it become having to do with anything. But now we're going to have the draft, maybe some cool trades. But okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. What's the plan for this week? I will tell you. We're going to talk to ESPN's Corey Pronman about prospects and the draft and all that stuff. Brian did an interview with him. It's really great. We're going to play it for you. But first, Brian, what are your thoughts in general? Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. How exciting. They sure did, and pretty convincingly so. It was really fun to watch them play. Unfortunately, I think Tampa was really hampered by a lot of injuries. Not to say the Blackhawks weren't hurting, but it seemed like most of the impact players on Tampa had something that really hurt their ability to score and put pucks on net. So unfortunately, I I guess that's how the playoffs go. One thing I wondered to you, Elon, as the series went on, and I, I G-talked to you about it, is how high does Brandon Saad go in fantasy drafts in September? Yeah, I was a little bit intrigued when you texted me asking me that question, because it's interesting, right? We talked about all these Tampa Bay players and how we're going to project them. We didn't really talk about many Blackhawks players. I guess those are the obvious ones. The people who were scoring for the Blackhawks were the guys we would have expected. But Brandon Saad, you know, we talked about him during the year as a guy who had a prominent role for a lot of the year. In the end, his numbers actually aren't so impressive. I'm actually surprised when I'm looking. He had 52 points in 82 games, which is obviously respectable and fantasy relevant. And then in the playoffs, he had 11 points in 23 games, which is maybe not as fantasy relevant. But of course, it's the playoffs and players play different roles. But it'll be interesting to see where he'll go from here because he's a young player, clearly a key component of this Blackhawks team. And as you know, their core gets older 
And maybe if they start losing players like Patrick Sharp or whoever over the summer, I wonder if Brandon Saad will be a maybe 60, 65 point guy next year. He might be asked to step into that kind of role. And I think the reason why I asked you, it was it was just after he scored the game winning goal in game four. He had a goal in the previous game before that, along with six shots. I feel like he was the guy who everyone's attention turned to knowing that he would have to be one of the people going into next year that steps up after, say, Patrick Sharp goes off to play elsewhere. Yeah, another guy to watch will, of course, be Toivo Teravainen, who we mentioned a couple of times and who really did contribute in that Stanley Cup Finals. He ended the playoffs with 10 points in 18 games, and he'll be another guy who I'll be very curious to see where people will draft him. I guess maybe we'll be able to look into where we see all of these Blackhawks players once we see how the summer shakes out and we start analyzing the various moves that they make. And another thing I was wondering about, you know, we obviously know now that the Blackhawks are, they're a great team. If they're your team, you're having a great time being a fan of the Hawks because they've won three cups in the last six years. It got me thinking, who's the worst team right now to be a fan of? I've got my answer. I think it's the Arizona Coyotes because at least Buffalo now, at least the fans have some hope. They're going to get this high draft pick. They're going to see what happens with Evander Kane. We've talked to death about them last week, but you know, there's other crappy teams, but I feel like Arizona at this point, there's all this news about their stadium and whether they're even going to be able to play in Arizona but I feel at this point that would be my pick for the worst team to cheer for what do you think yeah well I agree with you in Buffalo there's reason for hope it's going to be a good draft for them and if you're a fan of Arizona you're basically cheering for your team not to move which is a really sad thing to have to cheer for so apologies to all the Coyotes fans out there I'm trying to think of who else I would say it's tough to be a fan of right now of course it's great to be a Blackhawks fan lightning with a bright future too And I guess my recipe for figuring out which team would be the worst team to be a fan of right now would be poor on-ice performance with little hope also in the front office and little faith in the people making the decisions there. So before, you know, last year, I probably would have put Toronto in that group, but I think they're doing well. Edmonton also seems to be starting the shift. They just got rid of a bunch of scouts today that have been making mistakes for the better part of the last decade. I think probably it falls now to Philadelphia and New Jersey as two teams that I wouldn't want to cheer for because I don't exactly trust what's happening in terms of player management and front office people running the show there. Also throw out San Jose. It's really interesting to see what Doug Wilson is going to do because he basically just undid some of the things that he did one year ago when he signed John Scott as an enforcer, now they're letting him walk. So that to me screams, we don't know what we're doing. They also don't have a goalie right now, and I don't know what they're going to do about Niemi. And Elon, I know you're not going to like this one, but I'm also going to say Colorado. They seemed really, really behind at the start of this past season. They didn't seem like they were at all on the same page as any of the teams that are trending up in the standings. They seem to correct some things towards the end, but I just don't know how flexible Patrick Waugh is as a head coach. They have tons of talent. It's just a matter of if they're able to do something with it. Yeah, I feel like, I guess I disagree because I think Colorado would be a fun team to cheer for just because they have all of these stars. And there is hope just in that they have all of these strong young players. They have such an amazing goalie, in my opinion. So I'd love to be a Avalanche fan if I was able to just be a free agent right now and pick a team. I think they'd be fun. I agree with you actually with New Jersey. I think they're lame because I think my recipe would be a team that had a bad season and just has no exciting players. Like obviously 
They have Schneider in goal, and he's amazing. But you look at the their scoring leaders last year. Their top scorer was Adam Henrique with 43 points. And then you go down the list, you've got like Camilleri and Eliash and Gomez, all these old guys. I don't know if there's much hope for the Devils in the short term. But okay, I guess this isn't really fantasy related, but I was just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, the Devils are another team that have really failed at drafting recently. Like, try and name one or two good Devils prospects that are in their system or that have recently graduated. You said Adam Henrique, and that might be really the best success story that they have in any recent memory. So they need to get their scouting department in order. And one concern I also have is they just brought in Ray Shiro's, their general manager, who has like this good reputation in some circles. But when you look at his failure to set up a Pittsburgh Penguins team that could compete with centerpieces like Crosby and Malkin, I don't know. I don't feel like he's going to be able to do a whole lot with the Devils team that's even worse. He had a pretty clear mandate in Pittsburgh and was very close to being totally embarrassed by having the Penguins miss the playoffs entirely. They made it, but there's still no supporting cast, and he's had forever to get them that supporting cast. So what will he do in New Jersey? Totally different picture for him. We'll see, but I wouldn't really be too optimistic if I was a fan of the Devils right now. Yeah, like, I don't know, maybe there's something to be said for learning from your mistakes. Hopefully, for Ray Shiro, that will be the case. And I guess, yeah, you brought up drafting and how good are teams at drafting. And that's exactly what you talked about with Corey Pronman. So why don't we cut to that interview? I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Lots of good stuff here for the last episode of Keeping Carlson before we actually get some fantasy news to talk about. But enjoy this interview and we'll come back after to say goodbye. Let's get started by talking about something you've just been working on recently for ESPN Insider. You just put out an article in which you wrote about whether or not a team can really be skilled at drafting. And this might make a lot of fans uncomfortable to consider how much of a role luck might play in whether a draft pick is a hit or a miss. So from your research, how much of draft success comes from pinpoint scouting, accuracy, and evaluation, and how much of it can just be attributed to random luck and variance? Part of the, the confines of the research I did, which was basically just looking at a particular draft pick from 1 to 110 and asking how many games played does that draft pick expect to play, and then seeing if whatever, whichever team was picking at that slot, did they go the above or below that? And I looked at that over every pick over about 20 years. We saw that the, the variance in the results was about due 25% due to skill, 75% due to luck. And I think if someone were to like take a step back and really look at the data over 20 years, they could see what I'm talking about. And, and it would make a lot of sense in a sense that you know, we often talk about the big hit title Datsu Thor, you know, or more recently this year, guys like Tyler Johnson or Andre Pilat. But if you look at these teams' draft records year to year to year to year, you know, the teams that quote unquote get the big hits, you know, don't often get them for a long time afterwards. It's, you know, you'll, you'll find that big star in the middle rounds and then you'll never find them again. Or then you'll get the big star and then next year you have the top 10 pick and it's a complete whiff. And the skill does emerge after a long time, but we have to keep in mind, keep in mind how many data points we're talking about. A, a team will often only have somewhere between six to eight draft picks per year. The amount of randomness in six to eight data points is incredibly high. So it's no surprise that 
year to year, we see just huge uh, spikes in randomness in terms of teams drafting success to the point where almost year to year, there is absolute zero predictability in terms of how teams are going to do at the NHL draft. Which is amazing because so much effort and resources are put in by NHL organizations and then we spend so much time thinking about prospects. So to consider that number being about 25% skill only is a little a little frightening almost. So how do you make that decision when you, you decide to rank one player over another? How can you control as best you can to try and get that right? No, you can't control it. You do, you do the best you can with the information you have. If you look at what, what I do or what NHL teams do, they're saying, like, yeah, we take the best players when they're 17 and we rank them 1 to 100. I mean, that's, that's the dumbed-down version of what we do. And then the issue is not that when we do the 1 to 100, we tend to be dramatically off. The issue is that the 1 to 100 when they're 17 it does not match up to the 1 to 100 when they're 19, when they're 20, when they're 21, when they're 22. And we, we see we see huge spikes in development, up and down, guys being stagnant, etc. And whether it's because of injuries or they just learned something or they just stop caring, there's a million reasons why that happens. So it makes it very tough to project. And I, I use the analogy in the column that, you know, if you look at most teams draft board, their top 30, their top 50s are going to be roughly similar. So did they all get it wrong when, when a guy in their seventh round becomes a star or when a guy in their almost every team's uh, top 15, you know, ends up being, you know, playing five NHL games? I, I, it's difficult to say that. I just think that there's a lot of randomness in prospect development for a variety of reasons, and I the 25% skill just means that you know, that's still valuable. It just means that you pick the pick year to year is going to be a lot of randomness. But I think if you looked at, uh, I did rank uh, the teams in terms of actual uh, skill and results over the 20 years. If you look at who the best teams were, you look at who the worst teams were, there was definitely a strong relationship to who were the best teams in the 2000s and the 90s and who were the worst teams. So it does matter a lot. But year to year, I'm skeptical about any grand proclamation. Right, and certainly not to discount any of the work that is done. And one of the reasons I really like your work in particular is because I find that you sort of, you, you don't favor projections or upside or comparables, and you try and figure out who is the best player according to their situation at the given moment going into the draft. Yeah, and it's been nice. For the most part, my philosophy, I think there's still some projection issues that exist within scouting and in terms of, of analyzing prospects. There are definitely many cases where the player who is the 90th best player in the draft class becomes the 60th due to physical projection issues that were not related to his actual performance at the time when he was a prospect. But for the most part, I mean, if you just look at history, the guys who are the best players in their age group tend to be the best NHL players. And, and that's not a perfect correlation because, as we mentioned, you know, the, the guy who's the 15th best player in his age group one year can be slide down to 40 or bump up to five three years later. But for the most part, my analysis tends to ask the first question is, who's the best player right now? And then the second question is, is there any other extenuating circumstances or characteristics that should be taking into account uh, when we're projecting them forward? So let's move right into this year's draft now. Let's use some tangible, salient examples. We know Connor McDavid's number one. We know Jack Eichel's number two. It's not a comparison question, 
but it's sort of an analogy. Would it be fair to say that Jack Eichel is the Bobby Ryan to Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby? I wouldn't say, I think Eichel's a better prospect time than Ryan was. I mean, Eichel's had a very unique season. He's been one of the best college freshmen in, in the history of college hockey. When you look at what he what his track record from where he was at the NTDP last year as an underage to uh, what he did internationally and over the past few years, including this year at the World Championship, I, I, I would classify him as a solid, if not a good, first overall pick in a typical NHL draft. I mean, if you put him up, you know, he's there with Nathan McKinnon. He's over Nugent Hopkins. He's over Yakupov. He'd probably be over Ekblad. That's the kind of prospect he is. And I mean, Ryan was amazing as a, as a prospect, but I, I don't think he was at that same level. And beyond those first two, is there anyone in this year's draft class that is ready to step up into the NHL and make an impression? Uh, not off the top of my head, I could think of one definitely going to step in day one and be a you know a top nine forward or a top four offense or something like that. So I think that would be asking a little much. I mean I think you're gonna see the top guys, whether it's O'Hannafan or Mitch Martin or Joel Strom, uh come into camp, maybe Lawson Krauss too come into camp and you know push for NHL time, maybe get a trial, maybe get a game, go late into the process. Uh, but I, I think all those guys probably need another year. I think Noah Hannafin might be one of those exception cases uh, because I expect he'll turn pro and then he can go to the American League for a few months and then if he gets the proper season, he might be up during the middle of the season. Okay, so if we look at it from a tiering standpoint then, because it seems like there isn't anybody else immediately ready to step into a, a meaningful NHL role, for this year's draft, are there set tiers and where are they? Like, we know there's the top two and then you know, we expect there to be a drop-off at some point. At what point in the draft should a team be disappointed that they didn't get the pick right before them? Well, I mean, it depends on your evaluation of the players. I think after in any draft class, after you get beyond the consensus top one guy, top two guys, top three guys, the tiers are varying depending on your evaluation of particular players. For me, I think there is a top two and another, then another group of three, Noah Hannafin, Mitch Marner, Dylan Stroh, and then I probably another drop-off around the 19 or 21 spot. But I, I think if you ask anyone else, maybe they'll say the drop-off happens at 12 and then 20 or then or 11 and then 22, or I've heard drop-off happens at 5 and then another one happens at 25. So it really depends on your evaluation of the players at hand. Right, and there's been a lot of hype around this year's class and a lot of people saying that drop-off comes a lot later than it normally would have. Is that truth or is that a bit of overblown excitement for who's representing the top of the class this year? I think that is a factor. I, mean, I have talked to NHL scouts and you feel that the bulk of the first round is, is high-end. I've talked to those who feel it's not in that level. I've talked to those who think it's good, not great. So I, I think just a couple of seconds ago, and I think it's always the case in any NHL draft, that the strength of the draft is extreme, extremely subjective because I've always asked this question, and no one's ever actually able to answer this very concretely. What is a good NHL draft class? How do you define that in terms of prospects? What's how many caliber a strong prospect, elite, very good, needs to be a strong draft class? And that's why I think it's very subjective. Uh, for me, I feel, based on my evaluation, the prospect is slightly above, so maybe slightly above, two above average class. I think there's, you know, there's good depth. I don't think this is 2003. I would never predict class to be 2003. It's unrealistic. 
that's that's my stance on the matter right now. In this year's draft class, I feel like we're missing a top, really game-changing defensive prospect. I know Noah Hennepin's up there, but I mean, the most recent precedent was set with Aaron Ekblad. Is anybody even close to him in terms of defensemen in this year's class, or is that golf just too wide? Well, Aaron Ekblad was the most unique defense prospect we've seen in years in terms of physical and mental advance. I would say um, Hannafin is not at that level. I don't think he's at the same level as Seth Jones was when he was a prospect. I don't think he's too far away from those guys. I think, you know, he's definitely an elite, elite defenseman prospect. I think anyone should be fine with whether they're taking three to five. I mean, he has that kind of talent at both ends of the rink to be a legitimate game changer. I, I don't think he, he projects in the same way X Black does. I think they're different players, too, in terms of what their abilities they have, but if a team in the top five gets half, then I think they'll be very pleased. And if he's not in the NHL right away, he's going to be there very soon and probably in a top role in the not too distant future. And quickly, let's give goalies their one or two minutes here. I've read that you've said this is sort of not the most impressive class for goalies, but you've got a fellow by the name of Felix Sandstrom over from Sweden as your number one goalie prospect so far. Do you see him or anybody else making an impact in the NHL or having a, a reasonable shot to become a starting goaltender any time within the next five, seven years? I think the top four guys, you could rank them either way in my mind. Felix Sandstrom from Sweden, Daniel Vladar from the Czech Republic, Mackenzie Blackwood from Barry in the Ontario League, and Ilya Samsonov plays in Russia. My expectation is Samsonov will be the first goalie off the board, either him or Blackwood. And I, I don't think I don't want any of those four guys. To be honest, I, I think they're all good to pretty good goalie prospects. But I can pick out wards in any one of them. I think any of those four could, yes, end up being starting goalies. I wouldn't project all four. I, if if you get two out of that four, I think that would be a success in terms of the overall quality of the class in terms of goalies. Yeah, it's just I mean, goalie projecting goalie are really tough. I can, the only thing I can do is what I do for skaters. I tell you who are the best players right now in terms of their draft class, in terms of their age group. And Sandstrom is just an interesting guy because he's been injured for parts of this season. That's why I don't think if you look at the stats, they'd be all that impressive. Uh, but he's been a top guy among the 97s for a number of years. And he had a strong showing at the IWIHF under-18s where he seemed to be healthier and reaffirmed that position in my mind that he could be a legitimate goalie prospect and I think he's more of an upside guy than a guy who's had a, a really strong draft season which is why I think he might slide but overall I said for I don't think this is a you know in all that impressive goalie class at the moment I don't see an Andre Vasilevsky or a Malcolm Subban uh, level of prospect currently. Do you have any thoughts or philosophy on the best path for a prospect from draft day to the NHL? Like, for example, would it be better for a prospect to start as a depth player on a strong team like, say, Teravainen or Druin, or be a top player on a weaker team like McKinnon or Ekblad, who we just talked about? Do you see an ideal route for a player to take or for an organization to manage their asset from the time that they're drafted until the time that they can produce in the NHL? Well, it goes to just the psychology of learning and development isn't just about hockey development. It's just in all forms of life in terms of how you want to progress a person's skills in a particular field. And you want a player to be pushed, but not overwhelmed, but you don't want him to be not challenged either and therefore not gaining any particular skills. So my preference is always to push the player but you, you don't want them being in a place where they can't get the repetition, where they're not getting ice time, 
and where they just don't feel like they're ready for the level. And usually when you have a guy who's in Europe or in the NCAA or in, or in the AHL particularly, you don't usually have that problem. And I think you saw that with Chuvo Teravine in this year is that he was in the American League for about half a season. And then he would come in, and I think they sent him back down. And then when they felt, you know, he was ready, he came in, he was in their top nine and on a strong team. That was a legitimate goal for him. And that's the best route, where you usually don't see that happen is for the under-20 players, where you have to make a decision on them because of the CHL and NHL agreements. And you have those eight, nine games to decide whether or not they're going to be in the NHL. And then we saw with examples this year, like Leon Dreisaitl, they made the decision ended up not working out. And that's one of those shaky situations that you I'd like to see. But when the guy can go to the American League, uh, you find those situations cannot exist as much. Let's just do a quick lightning round here. We're down to our last couple minutes, and I'm going to just throw a couple names at you of players who may or may not have graduated from being a prospect in some people's minds, but they've spent some time in the NHL already, and we're wondering what they're going to do next year or within the foreseeable future. What do you think of David Pasternak making an impact with the Boston Bruins next year? Yeah, I think David Pasternak is a fantastic young player. As being a guy you realistically expect should be a top six forward in the very near future for them in terms of production and you know, and, and long term potentially a core player for that organization. What he did this year in the American League was incredibly rare. I mean, his past few seasons have been extremely impressive. A high skilled guy, really smart, makes tons of plays, and, he, and the body isn't great. I mean, he's small, he's slight, but even despite all that, he seems to best in the AHL and at times in the NHL, too. And, you, you know, you just hope if he comes back from the summer and he had a great season, uh, and he trains really hard and he starts to, to bulk up, you just wonder what he can do uh, once he can get over that physical hurdle. And I, I'm very optimistic about his future. Calgary has been on a strong run lately with their young players like Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau. How about Sam Bennett and Marcus Granlund? Where are they at in terms of stepping into a role with the Flames? We expect Bennett's going to be on the team next year based on just what he showed in the playoffs. He's at the NHL level. You give him one summer to train and I think he's going to be ready to be in the top nine four and maybe and then maybe more as the season goes on. I have no doubts about that. Uh, Marcus Granlin, I like the guy a lot. Uh, he's obviously been in a bit of a tweener position where he's been very good at the American League level, not so great at the NHL level, but he's shown he has the hockey sense and the puck skill to play at the NHL level. But I think just his skating, his body, they're not, they're not ideal for the top level. And I think, you know, next year's obviously very big for him. He's got to find a way to legitimize himself as an NHL player. Otherwise, you start talking about, you know, is he going to be staying over here for the long term? But I mean, if you look at his history as a prospect, he's always shown he can play very well at bearing different levels of competition outside the NHL. So I think he could make it, but I mean, there's some question marks there as well. If you're Anaheim and you had to choose one defenseman to put at the top of your depth chart for the next three years, would it be Sammy Vatanen or Hampus Lindholm? Lindholm. No question. That was fast. I mean, you, you look at the relative merit of the player. Uh, they're both great skaters. I think Lindholm's defensive ability will exceed Vatanen's. And Vatanen's got a little more power play skills, shot, top skills, etc. But uh, I think if you just look at Lindholm's total package, especially given where they are relative ages, I mean, Vatanen's got a, kind of several years on him. And Lindholm is, you know, definitely just becoming a man right now. I think once he gains that physical maturity, you're going to see, I think, his offensive game start to elevate a little bit. Cause he definitely already has the defense part of his game 
not completely down, but he's very advanced for a player of his age in that regard. And I think once you start to see him hit his early 20s, he's going to become one of the, the better defensive in the NHL if he's based on this current progression pack. Okay, and very last one, and this might be Little Blue Sky, but is there somebody that you have in mind in this upcoming year whose name that we haven't heard a whole lot yet, but we're going to start to? Who could be a breakout candidate for this upcoming season? I, I think everyone kind of knows who all the top players are. Yeah, I'm interested to see what, what a guy like Axel Holmstrom does. He was a seventh-round pick last year. He just signed Detroit. They at least said they're going to give him a look at camp to see if he's going to make the team or not. I had a very strong playoffs in the SHL. Uh, he's definitely a guy that's been seeing. I don't usually think you see you know, off-the-radar guys become stars out of nowhere. I, that tends to be rare. But he, he's one guy, I guess, that has to name one off the top of my head. Corey, that's it. We're out of time. So a wealth of information, as always. I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks for taking the time to interview with us on the show today. Yep, sure thing. Okay, great interview, Brian. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting, actually, near the beginning, this talk about drafting and whether there's really skill involved. It, you know, brings to mind, you know, fantasy hockey, and hopefully there's skill involved there, because otherwise, what's the point of it all if it's going to be random? Like, I guess it's different in the NHL. What do you think, Brian, is the difference between the NHL draft and a fantasy draft in terms of how much luck plays a role versus skill at choosing the best players? There's a lot more luck involved in the NHL draft, or at least that's the way it should be if you're adequately prepared for your fantasy draft. I mean, the thing is that it's just so hard to figure out where a 17 or 18 year old is going to be mentally and physically in about, you know, six or seven years. And the point isn't at all to say that it's a total crapshoot because it's not. There's a lot of resources poured into making sure that teams have the best players possible. And, you know, the fact that they all have similar draft lists sort of underlines the point that there is some consensus. It's not like there's just one guy saying, I think this guy is going to be the next big star, and another guy saying, I think this guy. It's just that we know who they are right now. We don't know who they're going to be later. There's just so much that can happen along the way. In fantasy hockey, we have a little bit more of a professional background on which to base our decisions. Yeah, of course. I guess you have actual NHL experience to base your fantasy drafts on, as opposed to the real NHL draft. Hey, you know, the Ottawa Senators are pretty good at drafting, though. They picked Eric Carlson 15th overall in the 2008 draft. There were definitely a couple of busts picked before him. I see Kyle Beach was picked 7th overall. I'll bet the Blackhawks would like to have a do-over on that, though I guess the Blackhawks are doing okay. All this to say... Great interview, Brian. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. If you did, let us know. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson, and we'll definitely pass along all of your praise or complaints to Corey, I'm sure. Or I hope it'll mostly be praise. And I'm just going to plug Corey's work one more time. He does fantastic work at ESPN Insider. Just Google his name or ESPN Insider for more info. Also, follow him on Twitter at Corey Pronman, C-O-R-E-Y-P-R-O-N-M-A-N. Usually on draft day, he is full of great nuggets all day long. We're really happy that he took the time to join us on the show. In my mind, he is like the premier scouting and prospect ranking guy out there. And before we sign off, I almost forgot, Brian, we need to congratulate the winner of the Keeping Carlson playoff pool. 2015 winner, Stay Gold Pony Boy. He ran away with it just like you projected at the end of the last podcast. And I guess it was no surprise, but Stay Gold Pony Boy 
Way to go. 251 points for first place. Second place was way back with 244 points. And after that, it's like one point difference between all the teams. So it was a big margin. But we have a bit of a problem, Brian, because Stay Gold Pony Boy is going to get a year of patron benefits. What an amazing prize. But number two and three, they tied. And the plan was to give second place my copy of the Big Book of Hockey Fun. I don't have two of them. So I'm not sure what we're going to do, but... Don't Tavares me, bro, and Moon's Over My Hammond. Please contact us. Oh, also Stay Gold Pony Boy. Send us an email so we have your contact information, and we'll figure something out. Maybe you could let us know what you think we should do. And next up for Keeping Carlson Hockey Pools will be our regular season hockey pool. The details on that will be forthcoming, and we're just going to keep teasing it in the meantime, though, to just remember... If you have a limited amount of pools that you can join this year, save a spot for hours. It's going to be the best one in the world. I like your modesty, Brian. And since we're teasing things, let's also mention that we've got a patron cast coming up. For all of the patrons of Keeping Carlson on Monday, June 29th, we're going to be talking about all the things that happened in the draft. It's just a couple of days after the draft's going to happen, so it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson, you'll be able to join in for the live Google Hangout. The information will be available on our Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. And if you're not a patron, you could sign up for just... As low as you want. Any amount of money that you want to donate to us over the summer, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. So you could check out information about that at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And that does it for this week's episode. In two weeks from now, we're going to bring you coverage of the NHL draft and all the things that happened there and all of our thoughts on how it affects our fantasy projections for next year. Of course, you could get that a bit early and ask your questions at the patron cast. Brian, let's end the show. Let's cue that outro music. Do you have any credits this week? Uh, thanks to officepools.com for hosting our playoff pool. So maybe them. And also to Corey Pronman for his time again over at ESPN Insider and on Twitter at Corey Pronman. So yeah, great job again, Brian, on that interview. Thanks again to Corey Pronman, and we will catch you all in a couple of weeks.